Good morning. Before we get to uh, the message today, caught a couple of family matters to talk to you about. You know, uh, as children of God, uh, sons and daughters of our Father, uh, we are brothers and sisters. And as brothers and sisters, that, that makes us family. Uh, and so a couple of family things to talk about. One coming up, one that happened a couple of weeks ago. But tonight, uh, 6 o'clock at our uh, Danville campus, we're going to have a merge event. So our, our merge events are where we gather as one church in one location. All three campuses come together. Together, and we do so to fellowship, to pray, uh, and to worship our Lord. And so I know uh, it's a, a beautiful day outside, a day we've been longing for uh, for a while. And so go out this afternoon, enjoy creation, and then come back and let's join together. If you've not been a part of one of these, uh, you're really missing out. It's going to be a great evening. And so uh, join with us at Danville uh, tonight at 6 o'clock. Then I, I want to take uh, just a moment to uh, celebrate with you what God did uh, at our church over uh, Easter weekend. And so so should have done this last week, but I, I wasn't here. Uh, you may have noticed that. Hopefully you noticed that. Um, I actually was uh, picking my uh, oldest daughter up from college, and then on the way back uh, through, I stopped at my uh, former home church uh, to, to preach there. So I preached a couple services there. It was great. Uh, but I say former home because this is my home, and I'm really glad uh, to be with you here uh, today. So... Um, I just wanted, though, to take a, a couple of minutes just to really to, to celebrate with you. And so we had uh, nine services over the course of about 36 hours. And so just lots of great things uh, to talk about there. But that takes a lot of serving. Um, it takes a lot of participating. And because there was a lot of inviting, uh, we set all kinds of records, attendance records, over that Easter weekend. And, you know, uh, again, um, I think uh, John mentioned this at our Danville campus last week. We, we don't talk about numbers a lot, and that's intentional because it's not about numbers other than the fact that numbers represent people. Uh, and so we're very thankful. So around 2,300 people were able to hear the gospel over Easter weekend. And um, so thank you. Uh, yeah, we could celebrate that for sure. Um, so thank you for your part in that. And I just wanted to highlight, though, uh, one aspect of that. And I want to talk about our Fort Madison campus for a second. So on Easter, our Fort Madison campus experienced a growth of about 140%. All right? 140%. And so I just want to really rejoice in that. We, we know that the Fort Madison community is a community that has a real need for the gospel. And I'm so thankful for Pastor Andrew and for Amy and for Jeremiah and Reba and the other leaders there who really have just dug in there over the last four years, and we're seeing God bear some really, really major fruit in that community. And so can we just celebrate our Fort Madison campus a little bit out here this morning? So we could talk about a lot more, but God is so good and so thankful for what he is doing. And uh, I'm hoping that he's going to continue to do that and to work this morning. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me uh, one more time to Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Before we uh, head into chapter 5 uh, next week, I want to look a little more closely at something we, we briefly touched on last Sunday, uh, and that's the topic of forgiveness. Forgiveness. By, by the way, I want to be clear here that I'm, I'm not cleaning up anything uh, from 
from last week. So our pastors did a great job at all of our campuses uh, teaching the text, teaching the Word of God. Uh, And in fact, I actually asked them uh, to focus on verses 25 through 31 so I could uh, spend some more time doing a deep dive uh, with you this morning on verse 32. So, So note with me what Paul tells us in verse 32. He tells us that he wants us to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now let me give you three reasons why I believe the Holy Spirit would have us to spend some more time talking about forgiveness. First, uh, in my experience, many Christians are confused about what it means to forgive. Lots of confusion about this topic in the church. For example, some uh, Christians associate forgiveness with a feeling. Uh, They don't forgive or they struggle to forgive because they think they have to feel forgiving before they actually give it, before they grant it. However, just like love, uh, forgiveness isn't first and foremost a feeling, it's a choice. It's a decision. It's something we do. It's not necessarily something that we feel. On the other hand, some Christians think that forgiveness is simply getting over or forgetting what someone has done to them. But that's also not true. Forgiveness isn't forgetting, it's choosing not to use someone's sins against them. Finally, some Christians treat forgiveness as if it's just excusing. Uh, When someone hurts them, they say things like, that's okay, or it's not really a big deal, or I know that you didn't mean it, or you couldn't help it. I'm guessing, by the way, that that all of us have said those things at some point. However, uh, as Ken Sandy points out in his book, The Peacemaker, the very fact that forgiveness is needed and granted indicates that what someone did was wrong and inexcusable. So there's a great deal of misunderstanding when it comes to forgiveness, and, this, this, and it's this misunderstanding that I hope to address today. Second, I believe the Holy Spirit would have us to talk about forgiveness because many of us struggle to give it. Many of us need to forgive, but we really don't know how to do so. We don't know what it means to forgive, and we also don't know where to find the strength to do so. Third, and most importantly, Forgiveness is central to the gospel. Forgiveness is central to the gospel. We've seen this a number of times in Ephesians already, particularly in chapter 1, where Paul tells us this. He says, in Jesus, verse 7 of chapter 1, in Jesus we have redemption. We have salvation through his blood, which is the forgiveness of sins. We are saved through God forgiving us for our sins. At the very center of the gospel is the good news of how God has forgiven us for our sins through Jesus paying the penalty for those sins. Therefore, we really can't understand the gospel without understanding forgiveness. But what's more, you'll note in verse 32 that Paul tells us that we are to forgive one another as God in Christ Jesus forgave us. That word as there, it means like. We are to forgive one another just like God forgave us in Jesus. Therefore, you also can't understand forgiveness without understanding the gospel. You can't understand the gospel without understanding forgiveness. You can't understand forgiveness without understanding the gospel. These two things are inextricably linked. Now, before we move on, let me say this. Forgiveness is a 
complicated subject, and therefore I'm not going to be able to uh, talk about everything or say everything that needs to be said about this subject uh, here this morning. I actually tried to do that one time. Uh, I tried to preach a message in which I just was going to say everything that needed to be said about forgiveness, and it ended up being the longest sermon I've ever preached somewhere north of an hour. Okay? But that was when I was young and dumb, or at least uh, younger and dumber. Uh, some of you remember that sermon, painfully remember that sermon, so I just need you to forgive me, okay? Hopefully I've learned a few things over the years. And so I'm not going to say everything that could be said or even needs to be said. And so I just want to encourage you, th this sermon is probably going to uh, cause uh, questions to, to bubble to the surface. And, and here's what I would encourage you to do with those questions. You, you, can, you can email me, you can talk to me, you can talk to one of our pastors, talk to one of our elders. Or uh, something I would really encourage you to do, and I put both of these books um, in the handout, all right? Uh, there are two books that I would just really, really highly recommend. One I've already quoted uh, a minute ago, The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. Another one is by a Southeast Iowa native by the name of Chris Bronze entitled Unpacking Forgiveness. Both of those are great books, have highly influenced uh, my thinking and understanding of forgiveness. And so go purchase one or both of those online, and they'll answer a lot more questions questions and I'm going to be able to do uh, today. I, I also want to say this. I know that there are uh, many people today uh, who are struggling uh, because someone has sinned against you in a very significant way, and maybe you, you know that you need to forgive, maybe that you, you want to forgive, uh, but you're, you're really, really hurting, and I, I recognize that a message like this may increase that hurt. So I just want to know, I want to be sensitive to that. I'm going to be as gentle as I possibly can. But I also want to encourage you to do this. I, I want to encourage you as always to look to Jesus. You need to understand that whatever pain that you are feeling today, he understands, he gets it, he has been there. He knows what it means to be betrayed. He knows what it means to be abused. He knows what it means to be mistreated. He knows what it means to be cheated on. And so you can, uh, in your hurt, look to him, all right, and understand that he is with you. And as you do look to him and recognize his presence, he will give you the strength that you need, not only to hear this message, but also to apply it. With that said then, let's talk about how God has forgiven us and then apply how God has forgiven us to how we are to forgive others. So big overarching point, and I'm going to say this over and over again because you, you, you've got to get this. We are to forgive others the way that God has forgiven us. So let's talk about how God has forgiven us. I want to point out to you five things that the Bible tells us about God's forgiveness. Number one, God's forgiveness is necessary because of our sin. God's forgiveness is necessary because of our sin. Here's what the prophet Isaiah tells us. Isaiah 59.2 says this, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. This is very similar to what we've already seen again in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. We all come into this world dead in our trespasses and sins. And you'll remember when we went through that passage, we talked about how that means that we are all spiritually dead, which means we are all separated from God because of our sin. Forgiveness is necessary because we all, by nature, all right, are separated from God. Now, let's apply this uh, to our relationship with other people. 
brokenness, all right, and separation in human relationships also comes about because of sin. Where there is brokenness in human relationships, the root cause of that brokenness, that separation is sin. So for uh, example, all right, and I'm just, this is just a, an example, just an illustration. This never really happens, but just suppose I sin against Eva, all right? It's, it's never happened. It hasn't happened this morning anyway yet, right? Mostly because I haven't interacted with her yet, okay? So, so uh, um, we, we all know, listen, okay, you're all laughing, all right? But if I sin, when I sin against her, there will be a break that comes into our relationship. There will be something that comes between us. Our relationship will not be the way that it should be, the way that God intends for it to be. And if that is going to be remedied, forgiveness has to take place. Number two, God's forgiveness releases us from the penalty of sin. God's forgiveness releases us from the penalty of sin. When we sin against God, okay, that causes separation. That's the penalty, separation from him. God's forgiveness then releases us from that penalty, from that separation. So I want you to see this in Ephesians chapter 2. Just flip over there with me. I'm not going to put it on the screen. Just flip one page back uh, in your Bible. Look at verses 12 through 13. Notice what Paul tells us here, or maybe I should remind you. He says this, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So the penalty for our sin is separation from God. However, through the blood of Jesus, God removes that penalty and restores us to a relationship with himself. Here's how the apostle Peter puts it. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 tells us this. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might do what? That he might bring us to God. We were separated because of our sin. Jesus dies, pays the penalty for our sin, and the result is that we are restored to a relationship with God. So this is basic, okay, but it's extremely important. If you get this, you will be far along in your understanding of biblical forgiveness. Sin separates us from God. Forgiveness removes that penalty and brings us back to him. Everybody got this? All right. We're going to do a lot of teaching today, but, but sin separates us. Forgiveness restores us, removes the penalty of separation, brings us back into a relationship with God. Similarly then... When we forgive someone, we release them from the penalty of a broken relationship with us. If I can go back to the example of uh, Eva and I. If she forgives me for um, my sin, then she is releasing me from the penalty of separation from her, of that brokenness in our relationship, and she is inviting me back into a full relationship with her. Number three, God's forgiveness is a promise. God's forgiveness is a promise. Here's Jeremiah 31, 34. Wonderful passage. The prophet speaking for the Lord says this. says that the Lord is going to promise that I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. It's a promise that God makes 
in forgiveness. Now, let's just talk about this for a second, because this is a wonderful verse, is it not? It's a wonderful promise that God makes. This would be a great verse uh, for all of us to memorize. However, here's the thing. Uh, Most of us are familiar with this verse, but I I think sometimes we misunderstand. We think that God is telling us here that when he forgives us, he's going to forget about our sins. That's not, though, what the verse says. The verse says that he chooses that he is not going to remember our sins. See, there's a difference, okay, between not remembering and forgetting. Forgetting is a passive act and therefore is something that God actually cannot do. God is omniscient or all-knowing, so he actually can't forget our sins. But what he can do and what he chooses to do is not to bring our sins up and use them against us. Maybe another uh, Old Testament verse will be helpful here. Here's what Psalm 130 uh, tells us. It says this, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, that means keep a record of our iniquities, our sins, who could stand? By the way, what's the answer to that question? Say it again. What's the answer to that? Who could stand before the Lord if he were to keep a record and use our sins against us? Absolutely not one single one of us. Who could stand? However, note the second part of this, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. In other words, when God forgives us, He makes a promise that he will never bring those sins up and use them against us. Now, remember, right, we're to forgive one another as God has forgiven us, which means that when we forgive, we are promising people certain things. Now, here's where Ken Sandy and the Peacemaker, uh, I think, is extremely, extremely helpful. He says that based on God's forgiveness of us, when we truly forgive someone, we are making four promises to them. He says that we're making these four promises, all right? So, so here are the four promises of forgiveness. Promise number one, I will not dwell on this incident. Promise number two, I will not bring this incident up and use it against you. Promise Three, I will not talk to others about this incident. And promise number four, I will not let this incident stand between us and hinder our personal relationships. Now, we're going to leave these up here because I just want to walk through them and just help you to apply these, all right? So when we forgive someone, uh, we're making a promise that we're not going to dwell on what they have done. Now, this doesn't mean that we won't think about what they have done because uh, we're not always in control of what thoughts pop into our mind, right? Especially when when we recognize that we have uh, the evil one, Satan, who is going to try to get us to to, to stir those thoughts, okay, and that anger and that bitterness up. So the thoughts of what other people uh, have done to us, we're not always in control of, but Here's what we can be in control of. We can be in control of intentionally not dwelling and stewing on and sitting in what someone has done to us. Maybe it would be helpful to think about it this way. While we, can, uh, while we can't keep birds from flying over our head, we can keep them from nesting in our hair. Now, for some of us, that's easier than others, all right? Like really easy for me, maybe not as easy for you. But, but let me say it again. While, while you can't keep the birds, okay, from flying over your head, can't keep the thoughts maybe from popping into your head, what you can do is you can keep them, all right, from stewing around in your mind and intentionally dwelling on them to the point that they're going to make you bitter and angry 
and continue to keep you, to ha- keep you having an unforgiving spirit. In addition, when we forgive someone, we're promising not to get historical with them. Promising not to get historical with them. Now, I, I'm not saying hysterical, right? Maybe you heard the story uh, about the woman who went to counseling, uh, and she told her counselor that uh, whenever her and her husband fought, he always got historical with her. And the counselor said, you mean hysterical, right? And she said, no, I don't mean hysterical. I mean that every time we fight, he brings up all the things that I've done in the past and uses them in our Argument. So when we forgive, we're promising not to do this. We're promising not to use someone's sins against them. Further, when we forgive someone, we're promising not to talk to others about the issue. Now, I want to, to let this one set in here a little bit because this, in my opinion, is one of the respectable or acceptable sins in the church. It's the sin of gossip. It's the sin where we talk to other people about the sins of others, about what they have done to us, about what they've done to other people. And, and we think at times, you know, we pass them on at times like the, the prayer requests or, hey, you know, you, you, you really need to pray for this person, all right? They're really struggling with this. Or I just want to let you know, I've forgiven this person because they've done this to me. When, when we tell someone that we forgive them, we're making the promise that we're not going to talk to them and we're also not going to talk to others about what has happened. And let me warn you why this is so important. It's so important because when you talk to other people about what someone has done to you, that only stirs up the flames of bitterness within you. Here's what Proverbs 26, 20 says. It says, without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. Stop talking about it, and it'll be much easier to forgive. Finally, ultimately, forgiveness is a promise to not allow what has happened to hinder your relationship with the other person going forward. Let me say that again. It's a promise not to allow what has happened to hinder your relationship with the offender going forward. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean your relationship will be completely reconciled. It doesn't mean that there won't still be work to do. And it also doesn't mean that you won't struggle to keep these promises. It just means that you will make every effort to keep them. And in most instances, not all instances, but in most instances, will move toward a full restoration of your relationship with that person. Which leads then to point number four. God's forgiveness results in reconciliation. God's forgiveness results in reconciliation. So remember, this is, by the way, we're at the point where it starts getting difficult, right? It starts getting difficult here. But remember, we're to forgive others like God has forgiven us. And point number four is that when God forgives us, the end result of his forgiveness is reconciliation. Here's what Paul tells us, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. When God forgives us, he forgives us for the purpose of reconciliation. He does so in order that we might be reconciled 
to a fully, complete, right relationship with him. When God forgives us, it results in us being restored to the right relationship with him that we were created to have and that we would have had if sin hadn't gotten in the way. Let me tell you why this point is so, so important to understand. Contrary to what we were told by secular counseling, and unfortunately even some Christian counseling, the main purpose in forgiving others isn't personal healing. It isn't simply to put things behind us. Instead, the main purpose of forgiveness is to provide a path for reconciliation. We, as Christians, we, we don't forgive simply to say, I need to forgive and forget. I, I need to get rid of this bitterness. That's definitely true, all right? But it's not the main point. It's not simply to say, I personally need to heal. The, the main point of forgiveness is to provide a path whereby the relationship that has been broken by the sin is restored. Now, I know this might be really hard to accept, but I just want to point you to verse 32 for like the dozenth time already here. We're to forgive as God has forgiven us. And God has forgiven us not so that he can get over what we have done to him, but so that we can be reconciled to him. So, so just think about this. God's not sitting up in heaven saying, you know, I really need to forgive those people so I can heal. I really need to be able to get over what they've done to me. You know, it's really kind of dragging me down. It's making my life really, really difficult. And I, so I just, need to, I just need to say I forgive them, and then I can forget about it, and then I can move on with my life, all right? And, and by the way, we should be really thankful that that's not the way that God forgives, right? So, so uh, we hear people say sometimes, I hear this, maybe uh, you've said this before. I, I forgive that person, you know, I've forgiven them, but I really don't want anything to do with them now. Have you heard... Someone say that before? Have you maybe said it yourself? Can you see the problem with that line of thinking? What if God were to say that about you? What if God were to forgive you in that way? I forgive them, but I don't want anything to do with them anymore. Are you thankful, by the way, that God doesn't forgive like that? In other words, that he actually expressly forgives us so that he can have a relationship with us, so that he can enjoy a relationship with us for. Ever. Now, let me say this. One way that you can determine if you have truly forgiven someone is to analyze where your relationship is after you have granted them forgiveness. If you want to look in your heart and you want to determine whether or not you have truly extended forgiveness, all right, consider where your relationship is with that person after you've told them that you forgive them. If your relationship is on the way to becoming restored, to being reconciled, to being as good or better than it was before the instance occurred, then you actually have forgiven them. On the other hand, it's very likely in most cases, I'm going to give a couple caveats here in a minute, but, but in most cases, if your relationship isn't on at least the path to being reconciled, then you actually truly haven't forgiven them. You maybe have thought that you have, but you probably actually haven't. Forgiveness creates a path for reconciliation. Now, let me give a couple of caveats here that I mentioned just a minute ago. Some couple things that I need to clarify. First, I say here in most instances, there are some cases in which forgiveness may not lead to full reconciliation, uh, such as in certain divorces and criminal offenses. 
Uh, in fact, I know uh, of a number of situations, even here in our own church body, where reconciliation is impossible. And so if you find yourself in this type of situation, I don't want you to believe that you have to try to reconcile with someone with whom it's not possible and perhaps even safe to be reconciled to, all right? So it's not in all instances. There are certainly cases, okay, where reconciliation, at least on this side of heaven, is not going to be possible and shouldn't even uh, probably be pursued. Second, reconciliation is a process. That's why I said forgiveness, if forgiveness has truly occurred, your relationship should be on the way, on the way to being as good or better than before the offense occurred. Reconciliation takes time and work. It's not something that normally happens overnight, but it is something that you will work towards if you have truly forgiven someone, which then leads to the fifth and final point. God's forgiveness is gracious and costly. God's forgiveness is gracious and costly. The word for forgave here in verse 32 means to show or give grace. We are to show or give grace to others the way that God has shown and given grace to us. So in forgiveness, God gives us the the gift of grace. Let me ask, if you're given a gift, how much does it cost? Nothing, right? By definition, a gift is free. And so it is with God's forgiveness. We don't do anything to earn it. We don't do anything to purchase it. It is given to us free of charge. So it's free for us. However, just remember, even though it's free for us, it's very costly to God. You may remember earlier in Ephesians, I introduced you to an acronym for grace. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. You see, forgiveness is wonderfully free for us, but extremely costly for Jesus. In fact, look down at verse 2 of chapter 5, a passage that we'll look at uh, next week. Paul says this, And walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. God forgives us, friends, through Jesus sacrificing himself in order to pay our debt. In fact, let's talk about forgiveness in terms of debt for a second, all right? Because that's really how the New Testament often describes it, is that we, because of our sin, we owe a debt to God. And it's a debt that we can't pay on our own. And so Jesus, in love for us, pays the penalty. He pays the debt so that we can be forgiven of our sins. So, so think about it this way. Maybe be helpful. When a debt is incurred, someone has to pay the debt, right? So I, like many of you, have debt on my home, all right? I owe the, the bank a large sum of money for my home, lots of debt on, on the home. Well, if I don't pay the debt, somebody has to pay that debt, Right? If I don't pay the debt, then the bank will foreclose and they actually will probably have to pay at least a significant portion of that debt their self. Whenever there is a debt, someone has to pay for the debt. Well, we all have a debt to God. We owe him because of our sin. However, again, in love for us, God sent Jesus to pay the debt for us. 
Here's how Paul puts it in Colossians chapter 2. Love, love, love this passage. It says, and you, that, that, that's by the way, that's you. You were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How did he do that? By canceling the record of debt that stood against this with its legal demands. Now, when you see cancel there, you might be thinking, oh, he just wrote it off. Oh, no. Somebody has to pay the debt, right? If he's canceling our debt, somebody's had to pay it. And who paid it? Well, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Now, let me ask you, friends, did he nail the debt to the cross? Yes. But actually, who was nailed to the cross? Jesus was. In other words, Jesus paid our debt. On the cross, God wrote, paid in full. He wrote paid in full because Jesus paid it in full in our place. You'll remember Jesus' final words on the cross, right? What were the final words? It is finished. What was finished? The payment of your debt. Your debt was canceled because Jesus paid it all. Now, wonderful. We love that. We should. Life-changing. But let's apply this then to how we are to forgive other people. When someone sins against us, there is a debt that has to be paid. They incur a debt to us. And so when someone sins, when they incur a debt to us, we can either make them pay the debt or we can pay the debt ourselves. Now, maybe you've never thought about it this way, all right? But, but here, here's what happens. There, there, there's a choice that we have. We, we can make them pay the debt, all right? We can say, I'm not talking to you. I'm not having anything to do with you. I'm going to be bitter with you. I'm going to be angry with you. I'm going to take vengeance on you. I'm going to get back at you. That's one option. We can do that, all right? We can give them the silent treatment. We can, you know, do whatever they've done to us. I mean, there's all kinds of options, and we've all taken those options, have we not? We, we have that choice. Or we can pay the debt ourselves. We can refuse to take vengeance. We can refrain from becoming bitter. We can return, okay, their sin, maybe their persecution with, with love, with grace, with gentleness. We have a choice. They can pay the debt. We can make them pay the debt. Or we can pay the debt ourselves. Now, you might be saying, well, that doesn't sound like a very good option. I don't like either of those options. Those are the only options you have. You can either pay the debt or you can make them pay the debt. Let me encourage you, give you a couple of reasons why you should pay the debt. First of all, all right, if you make them pay the debt and you stew in your unforgiveness, it's going to do as much damage to you as it is going to do to them. Maybe you've heard the saying before, unforgiveness is the poison you drink hoping somebody else will die. Unforgiveness is the poison you drink hoping someone else will die. One of the worst things that you can do is you can allow yourself to hold on to bitterness. That will eat you up and it will destroy your life. And so, yes, okay, yes, you're going to, to pay the debt, okay, but it's going to be better than what's going to happen to you if you hold on to your bitterness and your anger for what they have done. More importantly, though, 
Okay, more importantly, this is what I hope will really grab you, is that, that when you forgive someone, you are having the opportunity, you are going to give a great testimony to how God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. Friends, we should be so overwhelmed by God's forgiveness of us that we should eagerly desire to show forgiveness to others. Forgiveness should pour out of us because of the great forgiveness that God has poured into us. So, so let me just say this, and again, this will be, be gentle um, and as gracious as I can say this, but, but I just want to remind you, I just want to point out that no matter how much you have been sinned against, okay, no matter how much you have been sinned against, it pales in comparison to how much you have sinned against a holy and righteous God. And yet, he has completely forgiven you of that sin, And he has done so the only way possible, and that is by giving his own life. The own life life of his own perfect holy son. And because God has forgiven you in that way, then you not only should, but you can forgive others for what they have done to you. And so to conclude here today, Two final applications, all right? The first one is this. Here's the biggest question we all have to ask today is have I received God's forgiveness? It's not really about forgiving others. The biggest question is, is have I truly received a pardon for my sins? Has my debt completely been erased through belief, through faith in Jesus Christ. I just want to say to you today, it does not matter who you are. It does not matter what you have done. As the the hymn by uh, Fanny Crosby says, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Isn't that wonderful, friends? Isn't that wonderful, friends? So so listen, if, if you're here today and you're like, you don't know what I've done. That's right, I probably don't. But you know what God does. And he offers you a pardon today. He offers it free of charge. All that you have to do is lay down your pride. All you have to do is lay down your sin, turn in faith to him, and your debt will be erased. It will be canceled. It will be paid in full today. And we would just urge you with everything that we are here at Harmony Bible Church to receive that pardon this morning. Then second, let's talk for a minute about how we actually get the strength to be able to forgive people the way that God has forgiven us. So, so I've talked a lot theologically this morning, all right, about what forgiveness truly is. But, you know, at the end of the day, the question is, is like, I, I understand what the Bible says about forgiveness, but how do I actually do that? How do I actually take the hurt and the pain in my heart, all right, and how do I get the, to the place where I can not only say, I forgive you, but you're able to actually make those promises of forgiveness and you're actually able to carry them out? How do you get to that place? Well, let me tell you a story. It's a story by a lady who um, has become a hero of mine. Uh, her name is Corey Tenboom. Corey Ten Boom. And if you don't know Corey's story, really quick, 
um, Corey and her family uh, during World War II. Uh, their family lived in the Netherlands, and uh, they actually became imprisoned in German uh, concentration camps for aiding, abetting, caring, hiding uh, the Jews. All right. So, in fact, Corey actually was one of the leaders of the underground resistance in the Netherlands and was responsible in, in many ways for saving hundreds, if not thousands, of lives. Uh, but because of those efforts, because they refused, okay, to turn the Jews over, they were in prison. And Corey uh, watched as both her father and her sister died in those concentration camps. She amazingly, uh, and you should read her book, by the way. She's got an autobiography, The Hiding Place. It's one of the, the best books that I've ever read. Well worth your time. Fascinating story of all that she went through. But she made it through. And at the end of the war, she began to travel all around the world teaching and speaking about forgiveness. Really started a ministry to try to help the world heal from what happened in those tragic and horrific events in the war. And she tells an interesting story uh, in the hiding place where a couple of years after the war, she was in Germany. She was in Munich and she spoke at a church. And after she spoke at a church, she had this interaction. She says, it was at the church service in Munich that I saw him. The former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there. The room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain blanched face. That's her sister. He came up to me as the church service was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said, to think that, as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine, and I, who had preached so often about the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man, was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed the silent prayer, Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. Now, I just want to point out here that um, she didn't, wait until she felt like forgiving to actually begin to forgive. She, she began to forgive, and then the feeling came along with it. Forgiveness is a choice. The feeling comes afterwards. From my shoulder along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. So I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on him. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. Let's pray.